And it's, um, wow, really it's just so lovely to, to see everyone hailing in. I'm just sort of ch checking out the chat. Um, Sweden, Buenos Aires, uh, Maine, Allen, Texas, the Oregon coast, um, Florida, Vermont. So these of course are the uh, United States names or American names for um, all the indigenous land that we are settled on here. And what I'm noticing as I'm um, as I'm sort of offering the beginning of this webinar is that I'm in a new place myself. I am on um, uh, Uncachag land here in Long Island. I moved recently, and so I'm used to saying Lenape land or Canarsie land uh, in Brooklyn, New York, and uh, uh, Nipmuc land in Massachusetts, where I've been staying during the pandemic. But um, I'm actually in new territory now, and very aware of the fact that I'm actually situated near two. Uh, reservations, the Shinnecock Reservation, and um, the smallest reservation here actually in New York State, uh, which is just east of, of where I am. And I have a lot of complexity and, and sort of feelings around being here. And, and I think, you know, that's part of what I kind of just want to bring into the room is just acknowledging that and, and offering not only my presence, but the presence of the people who are native to and indigenous to this land who are here and who are still here and whose land that I hope to become a steward of. So with that being said, um, yeah, this is a webinar format. We're gonna be chatting in the chat box as we go along. Please um, enter your uh, way that you self-identify, um, the land that you're on, uh, your social location, which is something that I will talk about briefly uh, and I will share with you. And also um, maybe two words in terms of how you're feeling and doing precisely right now. My name is Francesca Marguerite Maxime and um, the social location that I am, you know, that I'm sort of most using, I guess these days is I'm a white adjacent uh, Haitian Dominican Italian American woman with a cisgendered heterosexual uh, orientation. Um, I am, I'd say middle to upper middle class. English was my first language. I was born here in the United States. I'm able-bodied, uh, although I practice Buddhist teachings now, I was raised as Catholic. Um, I have a multiracial, you know, multi-ethnic background. And I'm putting up on the screen here, uh, the power privilege and access to resources chart and inviting you to, to do the same and just sort of look at that. And, you know, as you think about your pronouns and where you're calling in from today, uh, just checking in with where do you find yourself on this chart? And actually, and, Francesca, we can't see the chart. Oh, you can't There's see a way. it. Yeah. Got it. So what am I sharing? It, all we see is like the uh, file location name, um, not the actual chart. Well, that's not very good. Thanks for letting me know. Let's see if this works better. We are, I am, I am, I'm in my learning process here on this. I'm hoping that this will get better. Um, maybe I can share it with you later. The bottom line is, is that Mika, do you have something? Do you wanna share? Can you see it now? No, we still can't see it. You still can't see it. Okay. Mm -hmm. I wish I could put it, I wish I could put it in the, um, I wish I could put it in the, in the chat box. 
what I'm going to do is I'll email it to you guys afterwards. So I'm going to just stop sharing right now. Basically, when you're looking at the chart, there's a center of axis of power. And generally speaking, it's white, cisgendered, heterosexual uh, males that are at the beginning or at the, at the center of, of power and access and privilege. And then sort of out um, on the circle, you'll look at different uh, religions and sort of what's more centered is Christian or Catholic. And then you'll look at other religions like Judaism, Buddhism, you know, Islam, and, and we'll go from there, indigenous practices. You'll look at able-bodied, you know, neurodivergent. You'll look at racial, um, multi-ethnic, uh, black, uh, AAPI, all of this, and, and sort of see where you are on the chart in terms of access to power and privilege. And so anything about that, you can put that into um, the chat box as we go along. Sorry, that didn't work out so much for me being prepared. Um, so I just want to kind of take a moment and kind of go over a little bit about what we're going to do today. What I would like to do is do a short grounding sort of meditation, um, talk a little bit about why I kind of came into doing this work and sort of what we're going to be sharing about and talking about today, and um, give a brief overview of some of the ways in which we can learn to kind of regulate our nervous system and be more present in the moment so that we can lean into some of the more difficult or messy conversations that we often have as it pertains to racialized, you know, conversations and incidents, um, because there's been so much and kind of unpack this idea of what is whiteness and what does it mean to be living in a world in whatever body that you're in as a, as a, as a racialized being, and that this is something uh, in terms of conditioning that uh, impacts all of us. And so what I thought I would do is just start with um, a very brief little grounding sort of centering to just kind of give myself and give you and give everyone a moment to just kind of breathe into our beingness together and welcome in our shared space. Just taking a couple of moments here, wherever you are coming in from all corners of the world, of the globe. Just feeling your feet on the floor, maybe pressing the pads of your feet and the heels of your feet into the floor if you're seated, or noticing the way in which there are pressure points in your buttocks and the back of your thighs and your hips and your ankles if you're seated on the floor in a different way or on a bed or a couch. And maybe just taking a couple of breaths here, slowing it down a little bit. Here in New York, it's the middle of the day, it's noontime. And just feeling how we are both not only on the earth, but that we are of the earth. And that we can feel the support of the earth and the ground beneath us really holding us and supporting us, not only just today and now in this moment, but also as we go about our day and recognize that we are always held by this, by this center, by this, by this land beneath us. And as we take a couple of more breaths here, in and out, just maybe notice what it's like to move from our toes and our ankles 
to our shins and our calves and our knees. Our thighs, the back of our thighs, our buttocks, our hips, our belly and lower back. Our middle chest, our middle back, shoulder blades, collarbone. And just notice if there's any part of the body that feels as though it has a little bit more tension, a little bit more tightness, a little bit more bubbliness. Perhaps there's something there that feels like it is drawing our attention in. And just sort of becoming aware of it, saying hello to it saying hello and making space for whatever's happening here in the present moment. And perhaps even just saying under your breath, there is a body. There is a body. And breathing in and breathing out as we sort of feel down from our shoulders to our biceps and elbows, forearms, wrists and hands and fingers, just noticing that we're a living being, that our breath is the breath that is shared with billions of people all around the world. This breath that nourishes us, that's here with us today. As one of us breathes in and another breathes out, that we're in a constant flow of exchange that there is an abundance of this air that we share. And as we breathe in and out, we may wanna notice what's the quality of the air in our environment. Are we noticing that it is warm or cool? Is it moist or dry? We may notice the faculty of of hearing sounds that are near and far to wherever we're located, including the sound of my voice and just checking in with wherever your mind is right now, if it's kind of gone away a little bit, what is it like to actually come back and return to the breath and just sort of say, oh, here we are. Here's what it's like to sort of arrive. Feeling up into our throat and our jaw, our ears, our lips, our mouth, our cheekbones, our eye sockets and eyebrows, our forehead, the crown of our head, just noticing as we are here, taking our seat in the midst of it all, noble and dignified, relaxed and alert. I'm enough and I matter, no better or worse than anyone else, same as. Here we are breathing together, leaning in with sort of a sense of curiosity perhaps around what does this mean to be open to exploring this idea of becoming an embodied anti-racist? What does it mean to invite in an elegant ferocity around this inner strength that we carry both within ourselves and as part of the collective? how to be graceful in our clarity, how do we 
just recognize that we can always return to our very seat and to our breath where we are. Should we ever get lost and pause and slow down? That we may learn to cultivate a discerning wisdom and a wise response to issues around charged conversations that when we feel something in our body, we may feel a, a tightness in our chest, a whoosh or a rush coming over. And that this is an invitation to slow down and to get curious and to perhaps reconnect with ourselves. And as we begin to close this portion of the meditation, perhaps just inviting in the consideration of, a, of, a, of an intention that you may have for our webinar today. Uh, what might it be that you'd like to invite or cultivate more of? Is it courage? Is it patience? Is it understanding? Is it calm? Whatever may come for you, what is my deepest intention here in doing this work? And again, feeling our feet on the floor and our seat in the chair, breathing in and out here again one last time before we start with the formal part of the webinar. Just recognizing that we are here together May all beings be safe. May all beings be happy. May all beings be healthy and may all beings live with ease and with joy apart. And may we dedicate the merits of our practice today to the benefit of all beings. All right, everyone, thank you so much um, for sort of participating in that. Come back to the room wherever you are at your own pace and time. And you even wanna look around the room and just orient yourself to our current day. We're here on the 24th of March. And again, just noticing anything in the room that you see that catches your attention, that may be nourishing, that may be something enlivening. I'm looking at a plant over here that I have and a picture that I have here in front of me that kind of makes me feel a little bit more grounded and present in the current day. Um, oftentimes what happens with trauma, with dysregulation, with the way in which we respond to certain kinds of experiences, um, we're responding from a place uh, in the present that's coming from, from the past. And so part of embodiment is sort of allowing ourselves to deactivate some of the energy that we, that we may have and that we may not even know that we have uh, in order to be able to really be present and, and connect with whomever about whatever it is that is before us now. Uh, I wanna begin by, by sort of starting with what is it that it means to me to be an embodied anti-racist? I think when we, you know, sort of are in the middle of this pandemic, the COVID pandemic still, we're looking at the uh, health disparities, the disparate ways in which um, certain populations uh, using our social location, you know, sort of have been more affected by COVID. Uh, and we're talking about Black Lives Matter and we're looking at uh, all the ways in which hate and violence and 
the, the poisons of, of, of greed and hatred and, and delusion, uh, to use the ancient wisdom teachings, uh, that they sort of all influence things that are happening in the world today from Boulder, Colorado, and um, the tragic loss of life there to uh, what happened uh, just last week uh, with the uh, AAPI community and uh, all of the things that are happening there and all of the things that have been happening, uh, not just in the last four years, or four months or four days, but uh, for centuries, perhaps millennia also. And, and being an embodied race, anti-racist, for me means that we are taking in our deepest intention, which is to perhaps have a greater sense of ease and well-being and connection and understanding. But we're not just coming at it from up here, from our left brain perspective, from our logical sort of flowchart kind of knowledge perspective. They were actually taking in some of the information that we are learning when we do our work around all of the systems and institutions and uh, laws and structures at a macro level that have been erected and structured to benefit some people and that those benefits come at the expense of other people and not only other people, but also um, other beings and uh, also our, our planet, our, our planet Earth. And to sort of continue with the land and our planet Earth, that, that everything is sort of alive in a way in terms of when we shift our lens from I, me, mine, I, me, mine, to a we or a collective, when we're shifting from this Western idea of rugged individualism to uh, this shared understanding of a, of a both and or an and and, uh, that there is a, a sense of flow and interdependence and exchange that we're all offering to one another at any given point in time that we can use mindfulness to help us be aware of when we're getting a somatic reaction to something that may be charged and how to begin to lean into that breath that we started with so beautifully in our little meditation to create enough space so that we can pause and get curious about what might be the right or the best, the right or the best, I should say the most skillful um, and the least harmful uh, appropriate solution or response to whatever that interaction is. As we're all members of uh, this human global community, we're thinking about what does it mean to both be accountable and kind of call, you know, be called in to doing more of this work, but also what does it mean to be called on to do this work? And I know that Mika mentioned my mentor, Jack Cornfield, and he calls it accepting your assignment. This idea of if you are someone who is in a white body or a white adjacent body, that we're able to recognize that given the structures and the systems, even though the DNA is 99.9% .9 the same, even though we know race is a construct, but racism is very real and racialized trauma is a lived experience that resides in our bodies and, and could be dysregulating for everyone, not just people with different melanin levels that are quote unquote non-white, people of culture as Resma Menachem would say, uh, not only just people of color, uh, black indigenous people of color, um, AAPI community, 
that, that, that we can really kind of look at what does it mean to be both aware of our social location and our ethnicity within these structures of oppression and also connect from a heart-centered place of, of same as. Now, when we look at this idea of rugged individualism, which is this Western philosophy that it's sort of the meritocracy, it's sort of this idea of the way in which certain folks manifest destiny, uh, you know, with, beginning with Pope Nicholas and the doctrine of discovery, you know, centuries ago, uh, sort of giving, you know, the red carpet to folks to go globally and dominate and extract uh, what was felt like a better system the system of Christianity, the system of Catholicism, uh, a particular kind of God, uh, that this system created inequities, as you know, over time that have continued to influence who has access to what and who doesn't. And my own journey about this was maybe around six years ago when my mentor, Jack Cornfield, invited me into doing this work because of my multi-ethnicity, I really hadn't examined, even though I'd had a lived experience of being what I call white adjacent, because I grew up in a white Italian home with a white mother. My Haitian Dominican father was not present. I didn't learn Spanish or French growing up uh, or Creole for that matter. I sort of had a sense of myself as someone who had a lot of access to privilege. And yet at the same time, I kept bumping into things because I wasn't, I wasn't white and I wasn't um, in this place of, of, of being centered in many ways. Although I do have a lot of the, um, you know, sort of privileges and access that uh, have been afforded to me because of uh, a variety of factors like my education and, 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 my, and my family background. And I share this because when we're looking at doing our own work, uh, it's important for us to be aware that we're not just here as, the way that we see ourselves, which is why I asked you to self-identify self -identify, uh, earlier on, we're also here because of the way in which other people see us based on these systems of oppression. As La Morado says, I don't get to consent to the way that other people see me or view me. And I think that's something to really think about when we're talking about the way in which we are trying to live and move toward a more equitable uh, society and, and community. So some of the things that I learned that have helped me recognize that I want to share with you why it was so hard for me to get from a place of being, I would call colorblind, I love everyone, I care about everyone, all lives matter, if you will, to a place of being very specific um, around things like anti-Black racism, anti-Asian racism, ableism, sexism, homophobia, and things like that, um, is that I had thought that because I had that kind of viewpoint that I was more enlightened or that I was more um, justice-oriented. What I realized is I was just ignorant. The more work that I did um, around history and understanding things like 
a black person in this country could not testify in a court of law against a white person. That if a white woman ever married a black man um, in say 1600s, 1700s, that uh, if she was ever with him, if you will, that her children would obviously automatically become uh, slaves and enslaved and would be the property of, uh, of the person uh, that, um, that, they were, that they were then going to be owned by and that you would end up giving up and forfeiting your citizenship uh, as, a, as a white woman. I, you know, learning about people like, um, oh, the whole myriad of them when they're the white abolitionists like John Brown and you talk about uh, Anne Braden and you talk about people uh, who have really come forward as people who have allied with communities over the years and all of what they've sacrificed, you begin to recognize that it's not a journey that it's easy to go on when you look at the history of all the things that have happened. However, that's the invitation. And in order to do that, I needed to understand some things about learning how to regulate my nervous system. And polyvagal theory is a way to do that. Uh, it's sort of a way to understand that we get stuck in a fight, flight, freeze trauma response oftentimes. Sometimes there's also the fawn or the fixed response. And that those are impulses that we have that from a mindfulness perspective or a Buddhist perspective, we might see as being um, the reactivity as opposed to the re appropriate response. And when the trauma response is talking, it's usually a conditioned response that's in our bodies that will be something that mm, we don't even really think about. It just sort of happens in a nanosecond. And that that survival response is something that has helped us be an adaptive strategy to get to where we are here, but that it's sort of always based on scanning for thread and, and, and fear, which is why I sort of at, invited you to look around the room a little bit and just remind yourself that you're here in space and time right now in 2021 from all around the world. Uh, and that we are not back in the place that we perhaps had uh, the original locus of, of trauma for, for us, um, which is complex. Sometimes we have shock trauma that are particular incidents and sometimes we have developmental or attachment trauma, uh, which is more along the idea of how our early caregivers treated us and how we felt either safe, seen and soothed with them or how we felt like we needed to shut down and repress uh, the way in which we were feeling and self-regulate because we were otherwise not going to get our needs met if we turned to someone who was our caregiver and uh, we might be so horrified or disappointed if they weren't there for us that we would be able to, we wouldn't be able to actually connect with them in a way that would suit our needs. So we just learned to be more self-reliant, which is part of the, the issue with, Western society and this rugged individualism, rugged individualism concept. We are not because we literally come out of a body and we're attached by an umbilical cord. We are not independent beings. We are unique beings. And it is true that we all have our own proclivities and our own conditioning from our family of origin to our DNA and our ethnicity and all these kinds of things but that there is no way that any one of us could survive without the support and connection of another. And this idea of social engagement, the social engagement system that Stephen Porges uh, developed, talks a lot about the way in which we can meet one another and we call it the bean gleam when we sort of look into one another's eyes 
very intimate. It's this way of feeling as though you're being held in the mind and the hearts and the bodies and the souls of another in a caring, loving, compassionate, generous, balanced, grounded way. And if this isn't something that we've experienced personally, it's often hard for us to be able to offer that to someone else in the sense that the level of intimacy that it may require of us, it may make us feel uncomfortable. And we may feel as though we need to sort of step away and withdraw, create invisible walls, maybe retract, maybe blame or defend. And, and whiteness, as it is a manifestation of this false sense of separateness, this false sense of superiority, this false sense of better than I'm entitled to these things at the expense of these things because they're worse than and I can extract what I need to stay up here. That, that this whole system has been created and perpetuated and sustained by, in my view, our unawareness around the fact that it exists. So I say, for example, we think that we're inhaling oxygen, but there's this toxicity of carbon monoxide, of racism that is in the imprintings of all of what, we, all of what we've experienced wherever you know you are in the world. We have people here from Buenos Aires, we have people here from Sweden, wherever it is that this is a very thought out system where we can't help but as internal family systems founder, Dick Schwartz talks about, we can't help but often have a racist part in us emerge, which is a part of us that somehow even in communities of color, may experience things like shadism and colorism where because this person is lighter or this person is darker that there are ways in which dominance and uh, those systems of of even you know you could call it patriarchy uh that come through and so none of us is immune to that uh, so this whole piece around being embodied is recognizing that this social engagement system, this idea of feeling like I can be with you, that I can trust you enough, that I can come from the heart and from the belly, that we can be here together, is something that we can begin to practice with ourselves. And often what comes up for us when we start to slow down and we turn our eyes inside and we're not just looking at race out there as something that we have to address or deal with or help out with or racism as something that we want to alleviate. When we kind of look in our own bodies and minds, when we feel into this, again, supported by the land always, using our indigenous lens of all my relations, all the people on this journey here together, including the 228 people who are on this call right now, and anyone who may be listening to it afterwards on a webinar replay, that we are scaffolding one another and holding one another up in order to be able to self-explore and self-investigate. And when we begin to do this, oftentimes, if we're well-intentioned, we bump up against shame, some version of I'm not good enough, some version of uh, I don't deserve good things. If especially in a white body or a white adjacent body, it manifests in a particular kind of way that often can be about a sinking or a pulling back or withdrawal. Sometimes it can be about a blame or a defending or a pushing out. And sometimes it can just be about a confusion or a delusion around the idea of I don't really, I don't really know, or I don't, I don't see color and, and everybody's the same to me. And so we don't, we don't 
we don't want to be caught up by our visceral reactions or emotions. We want to be online and present. And so we start by naming what is the experience that I'm having in my body as I'm going through something. And am I able to name what my direct experience is? Are there colors there? Are there textures there? Is there uh, a sound there, a taste there? Without making up a story about it, that keeps us right here in the present moment. And then am I able to recognize, oh, this is pleasant for me. This is not pleasant for me. Ah, eh, this is something I don't really care about. It's kind of neutral for me. And then be with the clarity around what's left in our direct experience. And so I'm gonna invite us to, I hope this works, this screen share this time, watch a short video, which some of you may be aware of the, the actual video. You may have seen it before. Um, or you may have heard the song before, but I'm not sure if you have watched the video. So I'm gonna see if this works. Mika, let me know if it doesn't, please. Can you hear? Just notice what's happening in your body. Southern trees, they're strange fruits, blood on the leaves, and blood at the root, black bodies swinging. In the southern breeze, strange fruit hanging from the poplar trees. Pastoral scene of the gallant south. The bulging eyes and the twisted mouth, scent of magnolia, sweet and fresh. Then the sudden smell of burning. Here is a fruit for the crows to pluck, for the rain together, for the wind to suck, for the sun to rock, for the tree. To drop. Here is a strange 
much. And it So waiters always look at me and think that I'm going to have. A I'm just noticing what's happening. Thank you for putting that in the chat, Romeo. Um, just noticing what's happening in your body as you see the words. Just feel what's happening, your texture, color, anything there. sensation and emotion of feeling. Mm, who would like to raise their hand or share? Mika, if you can bring any in. We do have someone, um, Kai, raised their hand. Kai, if you'd like to speak, go live. Are you there, Kai? I hear Amanda saying a lump in the throat, a disgust for how this is not just our history, but our present. Thank you for that, Amanda. Shelly says constriction and immobilization. Yes, I know, I apologize for the Zoom issues. Um, chills, Marilyn says. Frederick says, I felt a tingle and shiver at the base of my skull that ran out the back of my head and then sent shivers down my arms. Sarah says, shallow breathing, shallower breathing. And we have uh, Jess who wanted, well, if you raise your hand, if you can keep your hand raised so that I can get to you and then I can um, unmute you so that you can go live. If you raise your hand, please. I'm just gonna to continue to read these in case someone, okay. Uh, Catherine says, I've watched this video before and listened to the song. I always feel a deep cold chill and a trembling, a deep sadness and anger, crying, change and breathing. Uh, someone else says, devastation, sadness, despondency and regret. Helen Ann Island says, deep sadness, heartbroken. Anna, tightness in the chest, heat, rage, and sadness. Thank you for naming the rage, Anna. A rising feeling in my diaphragm, clenching teeth, tight chest, lower abdominal intestinal pain, whole body tense, constricted, sad, and angry. My stomach turned over and I'm left nauseous. And so I'm gonna just pause for a minute. Let's just slow down for a minute and take another breath here. And again, orient yourself around the room, feel your feet on the floor, your feet in the chair, and just maybe take in something that's here. 
as we are both with the experience of the words and the actual experience that Billie Holiday is singing about. You could say, as again, someone just mentioned that it's the same as last summer, George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Aubrey and everyone before and since, but that we're just here in the moment, noticing that right here and right now, we're scaffolding one another, we're holding one another up as we're experiencing this together. And we're feeling the tightness or the constriction or the sinking in our body. And we're noticing that we're here with one another, even though we don't see everyone here at the same time. a lot more comments. I felt a sense of tension in the core of my heart center and building with a knot in the throat, profound stillness and deep sadness, deep sorrow, devastating, cold, shivering. I've seen this before, this is important, and it upset me, but this time I felt I was inside her, feeling how hard it was for her to sing those words. Beautiful empathy and compassion, felt viscerally in the gut, suffocating, Interesting, so just notice that suffocation if there is something there in the throat that feels like it can't speak. I felt tears close, deep sadness, heaviness in my chest, a fear, beautiful to name the fear, dread, frustration and nausea and all of that. And then someone who says here, and I love what Kieran says, cold shivers and a wandering sudden heats and strange waves with each new spasming image, some sobbing, and all of it a strange confusion of unpleasant and pleasant. I guess like the cathartic release, the sense of connection, even though its medium is horror, plus I guess just the aesthetic and the human power of her song and face and presence. Okay, I'm just gonna take a, another pause here. So beautiful, thank you so much for sharing everyone. Um, I do wanna take some of your questions live on the, on the screen. So please put them, you know, raise your hand to come on live to ask me some questions. And uh, we're gonna talk a little bit about the upcoming course also and, and talk a little bit about this. I just wanna, can I interrupt just a minute? Yeah. Um, for people who raised your hand, if you can keep your hand raised so that I can promote you and move you to panelists and that's how um, you're able to speak. So um, you just have to be a little bit patient for me to move over to you. And then when I call on your name and I'm trying to unmute you, that's, that's how you're able to speak. So just wanted to point that out. And um, I don't know if, do you wanna take someone live now or did you wanna continue? Um, no, we can, we, can, we can go with the question, that's sure, okay. fine. Yeah. I see that David has raised his hand. So David, you've been, moved over to the panelist and now you're able to um, unmute yourself david so i'm a i'm a chinese american i was born in chicago uh, i don't speak any chinese i'm very american um i'm a little surprised at what i'm feeling i don't feel rage i feel sorrow i think i'm going to make a guess as to why i don't feel rage is that because I've been through this so far, so many times before. Last week, it's like, yeah, we've been through this. We've been through this. And so there's a hardening. Um, and you know, I guess I wanna give a little perspective. Um, never has had anyone or any group of people acknowledged um, anti-Asian hate until this moment. 
never has a US politician, let alone the president of the United States, spoken out against it. So in my perspective as an Asian is, yeah, I have sorrow about the eight, you know, the people who were killed, but I know that things are changing. Uh, I saw on a website yesterday from uh, Angel Cordell Williams. She says that she can see the end of white bias supremacy, and I can see it too. It might not happen in my lifetime, but I can see it. Mm. I don't, I don't feel, I feel this pain from, from holiday, but I don't feel overwhelmed by it. And I feel a certain uplift in there because it's like the pain comes and then the, uh, the healing happens. Mm, beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing. I, um, I love what you're, what you're offering in terms of this sort of um, arc up this lift. And, um, and I really feel as though that's part of what the whole experience of going through collectively and personally trauma is, is that, you know, Liz Leonard Cohen says, you know, the crack is where the light comes in. And this idea of being broken open, having our heart broken, people have said, our, my heart is broken. And I could have used any number of, of, of pieces of video around this, but we're speaking about a very specific way in which our country was created and that many systems around the world were created um, around dominance and extraction. And um, that this, this lift that we're seeing that, that, that now that there's an attention that's being paid to naming, as you say, uh, what is happening, I think is so critical. And that we become aware that the naming is, p is part of it, the understanding is part of it. But what we're feeling is to actually experience through the direct experience of everything that people are saying in the chat, and being able to not allow ourselves to be so merged with our experience that we feel as though we then become the anger or then become the sinking or that we become the withdrawal. But rather, as we did in the very beginning, I'm here taking my seat, the king or the queen of my own kingdom in the midst of it all. I'm enough and I matter, noble and dignified, relaxed and alert, same as that I am here with my long spine, that I'm here just relaxed and alert, being present with and accompanying of my emotional, my somatic, my sensational experience as I go through this. And as I begin to expand my understanding of all the different ways in which these systems of oppression have manifest in the acts of violence that continue to happen, that I can begin to be present to more of it without feeling as though being present to more of it means that I have less of me available to me. We're just expanding our range of resilience as we go. Um, so let's, let's talk to the next person. Okay. All right, thank you. Mm -hmm. So, Romeo? Hi, Romeo. Hi there. Hi, thank you for posting those lyrics in chat. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So, um, yeah, thank you, Mika, and thank you, yeah. Dr. Um, so, I, this is probably more of a comment, so I was really drawn to your description around how all my relations and sort of that indigenous lens really will help us mm -hmm. in terms, um, you know, 
working through this. So thank you for that. Um, I, I've been just, you know, in, in the last few months, I've seen not just obviously the racism that's happening on mainstream with Asian Americans and uh, BLM and so on, but also within our spiritual communities. You know, yeah. it seems like- It's horrible. Yeah, I mean, I, I attended a seminar this weekend with Dr. Jennifer uh, Mulan on yeah. that page and it was powerful. She's and, great. And I raised that, you know, here in Northern California, I'm not sure where else, but you know, it is, you know, and, and I, I apologize if it's offensive, but it is white as day in terms of like practitioners, yoga, plant medicine, you know, providers and so on. And so, you know, obviously there's, there's been a concern for me, but I think I trust that, you know, that that path and my path has been mostly Lakota um, will help us sort of see this. I think the uh, incongruency of people singing songs that are all one, or even the concept of rainbow warriors that was born like 30 years ago, there's not much progress, but I hope that there is. But, you know, I just wanted to maybe thank you um, for providing this, this as a platform. I am silenced in my own community. I'm usually the only person of color. And so it is, is, it is a brutal, a place to be in, but you know, I, I do consider myself a bridge builder, but was there anything that you can think of in taking that sort of indigenous lens towards the solution? Yeah, that we don't have any enemies, that everyone is part of our circle, even the abuser, even the father that incested me, even the um, brother who beat me up, even the neighbor who bullied me, even the person who is the one who um, still actively wants to hurt me. There's a story that um, I don't remember exactly uh, when it was, but um, I just remember it really struck me uh, part, part of my practice early on. Uh, there were, there were uh, I believe, Cambodian nuns that were imprisoned for decades and had um, been asked after their release uh, what they were most afraid of, if anything, while they were there. And um, you know, there it wasn't about it, it wasn't about anything other than compassion. That they just they wanted to always have their compassion for their their captor. Uh, and so this idea of um, we're not ever cutting anyone off or throwing anyone away in cancel culture. Uh, we're not um, demonizing the uh, the being. We are holding accountable and taking to uh, a mindful, equitable, uh, balanced lens, uh, what is just, what is equitable, what is fair, what is right, what would be truthful uh, without these systems that have, uh, of oppression that have been layered on and, and papered over, which as Nicole Hannah-Jones talks about, the author of the 1619 Project, which we know there's been so much pushback from in terms of the previous uh, uh, Washington administration uh, on Martin Luther King Day of all things uh, came out with the, I believe it was, uh, you know, paper around why uh, they were seeking to further invalidate critical race theory teachings and the 1619 project uh, across the board, which have been, of course, so valuable to our understanding of how we came to be in this system uh, that, that, that we really are, are, are looking at what she says is, uh, yeah, we're all the same, we're all in the same water or whatever it was that people were saying last summer a lot, you know, we're all in the same boat, we're all in the same water, but some of us are swimming against the stream and some of us are swimming, you know, with the current. Uh, 
So it, it, it's this idea of thinking that you're all in the same body of water, but, but actually recognizing that you're either aware or not aware that you're swimming with the current or against it. And so this all my relations piece from, uh, from this perspective is, you know, like a Dr. Martin Luther King, you know, hate, love the sinner, hate the sin. Uh, this idea of that also, who are we to be so smart? We're humans, so we have the capacity to do homo sapiens sapiens, the ones who are aware that we're aware. So that's the whole point of cultivating mindfulness. Um, this is my noise. Okay, sorry, it must be my, maybe it's my microphone. I'll hold it up. Um, but that there is an intelligence of dolphins. There's an intelligence of bunny rabbits. There's an intelligence of uh, micro particles, uh, lichens, roots, um, you know, mushrooms, things that we can't see just because we can't see it with the naked eye, name it or label it. So all my relations means that I am part of an ongoing flow and process. And I'm aware of that. I may wear a size. Well, now I'm wearing a size probably 14 or 16, but before the pandemic, I was maybe wearing a size 12. I may be wearing a person who wears a size, uh, you know, 14 pants, who's 5'8", who, you know, has a certain texture hair, but that I am part of this overall process and that everything is influencing me and nothing or no one is cast out. And so it's that way of both being boundaried, having a sense of balance and justice, having a sense of calling in and calling on and calling out in terms of pointing to what's out of balance and what's wrong, but to not conflate the two, even my abusers. Got it. Thank you. Does that help at all? Does that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it definitely helps. Okay. Thanks, Romeo, and I appreciate all the work you do. And um, Dr. Jennifer Mullen is great. Thank you. All right, so we're gonna move as Selena. Yeah, someone says we're in the same water, but some are on yachts, some in canoes, and some are just swimming. That's right. And, you know, I think that brings me to this little piece of the trauma Olympics where, you know, we're not trying to compete like is mine worse than yours because I'm more marginalized than yours or this or that. It's a both and or from an indigenous lens, we'll call it an and and meaning that we're making enough space for the fact that, yes, there's a particular kind of trauma that Asian Americans face, that Jewish Americans face, that Black Americans face, that immigrants face, that there's all of these different kinds of unique pieces, but the common enemy is whiteness and what we would call white privilege. Uh, Sonia Renee Taylor, who's amazing, uh, she's just started to call white violence. And um, I think these ideas of white entitlement, white privilege, the naming of things that gets laid into and layered into the ways in which we uh, think about these concepts, in fact, helps to kind of perpetuate them. So let's just call it what it is and name it, um, name it white violence. Okay, I'm sorry, go ahead, Mika, with that. Okay, so we have Selena. If you can unmute yourself, Selena. Hi, Selena. Hi, thank you both very much, Francisca. Thank you for doing this talk. Um, so I'm a white person, as you can see, I'm queer. I have some other um, intersections, but my question is actually goes from the last two. So I'm a 20 year Buddhist. So I found Buddhism right out of college. And you're speaking on a couple different things here. And your last question, which I felt to be very, um, 
very true and very important. And yet there's this sense of urgency um, with our current state of the world as it is that of course, no living being is our enemy. And yet there's some sort of not addressing of how these spiritual teachings aren't being embodied in these larger containers, mm-hmm. which is why they're held with great whiteness. And every time I've brought this up and, you know, it's funny, my, my teacher and my spiritual guide is Tibetan and then it came over to the West. And so it's a very Westernized, very white top down. And so I'm big into anti-capitalism. And so I have kind of two questions for you. One is, do you believe that true equality can exist within a capitalist um, framework? Because from my experience, it cannot. And the hierarchy of these communities and these uh, practices, which have come from other places, it's really about exchanging self and others is what you're talking about, right? So when we put our eye into the body of another and we see from their point of view, of course, we have these very deep experiences. And yet the integration isn't really happening in our world quickly enough because we are literally, you know, almost like Mother Mother Earth is like, okay, you guys aren't getting, you didn't get in the 60s. (laughs) And so are you getting it now? And so I see almost some spiritual bypassing, not necessarily what you're saying, because there's truth. And I hold a lot of paradox of this is actually true. And yet when I embody my spiritual practice and my deepest bodhicitta wish, I can no longer sit. I can no longer, now I can no longer go to panels with all white people. Yes, that's fine. That's good. Get up and... Yeah, if that, if from my point of view, until we take our spiritual teachings, if they're Buddhist, if they're Christian, whatever, into our heart deeply, then these topics aren't just topics, but they're ways of being. And so I see in my white Sangha, they have a good, oh yes, Selena, they all agree with me, right? And yet they're doing nothing. I and understand. Kind of like, yeah. And so it's like the passion of my bodhicitta is I cannot, I'm willing to die for the freedom of all living beings. And I cannot believe that something like Buddhism, which is very hierarchical in my experience, because it doesn't actually stick true to Buddhist teachings. So we understand the manipulation of hierarchy and patriarchy. So I'm just wondering how we can take this without just being, oh, of course there's no enemy, but those minds of delusions, they are my enemy. And I will not stop with my bodhicitta until these systems of oppression are dismantled. Because it's not okay that I have a little bit of freedom if someone else suffers. So it's like, it's like how do we nonviolently and yet passionately just not call people up, but just be like, I won't. I won't be with a group of white people anymore. I will not be, because this is actually Buddha's teachings. <laughs> actually, Buddha was a super rebel who hated the caste system, who left his family, put everything on the line. Right, so right. how do we embody that in our life? Like, I think it's a question that everyone... I mean, I'm not obviously the Buddha, but I hope to be a Bodhisattva as you are in the sense of trying to really, um, you know, share and invite in collective liberation, right, um, for all beings. And, and, and you know, Nibbana, the, the promised land, if you will, is really just seeing it as it is. And the way that it is right now is the result of a system of oppression. So to answer your earlier, meaning that there's a system that's been put in place, very carefully thought out, very carefully practiced, and very carefully perpetuated by folks who want to sit on the sidelines and who, you know, somebody said you can't hoard your spiritual like good like juiciness, yeah, like your gushiness, you know, and um, and yes, um, there is no reason why uh, the way in which Western, especially the ones like I'm entrained in, in insight meditation, you know, through the Theravadan tradition, um, you know, 
of course it's there and whiteness is there because the way in which it was brought over was envisioned by people who are white and there were cis you know well i don't know if they were cis head but they were you know i'm just saying that they were they the, the lens again when you look at it from the place of conditioning and imprinting the person is seeing something from the perspective of their own experience and unless they are asking other questions about it or having and inviting in enough humility to ask the original Asian community that is still practicing these Eastern, you know, uh, practices uh, or to have the humility to kind of be open to what a shamanic lens still has to teach. Um, meaning it is teaching in the collective. It is teaching in an all my relations way. It's not teaching in a uh, individualistic way of I'm going to get my enlightenment or I'm going to regulate my nervous system. There is no self-regulation according to Beatrice Vivi. You, there is co-regulation. And if you look at cultural somatic works and somatic abolitionism from Resma Menicum, he talks about the idea that we are essentially in an avoidant society, a culturally attached avoidant society, and that that's the result of the meritocracy, the rugged individualism, this whole idea of manifest destiny, that I'm better than you and therefore I'm entitled to living a life and having a body in a way that I'm making you not have. And so I really think that this idea of... Um, you know, the whole point of practicing is to be calm so that when you get off the cushion, you can be present and not get jacked up and caught in your conditioning, even in your rage, even in your anger. Because as Thich Nhat Hanh says, the great Vietnamese monk, you're going to be the calm person on the boat when the pirates come. You don't also want to be coming from the place of anger, from the place of fear in that moment. You want to be grounded and connected to yourself and to your breath so that you can share that equanimity and that balance. And so, yes, there is a huge place for outrage. That is what we call from Lama Rod Owens, again, the energy of anger that we use to shift, that moves through us, that helps us get, um, we saw and we do see still um, those, those movements uh, coming through and, and manifesting change. And, you know, you mentioned, is it gonna happen soon enough? Maybe in my lifetime, maybe not all these things, David mentioned that, um, you know, there was a civil war that was happening in Sri Lanka for many, many years. And um, again, this is a story I'm borrowing from my mentor, Jack Hornfield, but the idea around it is true, I think, in this point, which is that when there was um, a laying down of arms, uh, the idea was to come forward with a 500-year peace plan because they had been at war for so long. And so it's not like we're going to flip a light switch and go back to binary thinking in terms of solutions but we're reimagining something new and different and emergent through our creativity, through our embodiment, through our capacity to be with our experience, know what it is, be aware of it, but not act from the place of our experience, either joy or sorrow, anger or excitement, checked out ignorance or um, sadness and sinking. We are not acting or not acting from that place. We are acting from our beautiful, compassionate heart, our grounded and embodied presence. And we are coming forward to know that the truth comes from us and through us. It doesn't come, it, it would be, it would be narcissistic and, and, you know, to just say, well, you're, you know, you're missing this and you're doing that and whatever it is also, it's good to point it out, but it's also like, Yes, know that you are in community with all the other people who feel that way. 
when someone who's broken up with us, we feel left alone. We feel like we're the only person. When someone, when a child has died, our child has died, we feel like we're the only person. Over the eons, over the ages, of course, there's sadness there. And there's also the idea that we are in community with all of the other people who share a common humanity of loss, of joy, of excitement. And we use that. We remember that. We remind ourselves of that because that's part of the trance of separation, the trance of fear. That's whiteness working internally. We are colonized inside that way to think that somehow um, we must do it alone on our spindly legs, trying to kind of do these things. And yes, we need to call attention to all of those pieces. But of course, what would grow out of something like that is meaning, you know, the awareness is the East Bay Meditation Center and Larry Yang's book, Awakening Together, talks um, and has a great platform in the back in the appendix around how to establish an anti-racism, equitable organization from the ground up, um, from jump. So you don't have to think about it as an afterthought and do patches. You're actually building it from the bottom up this way. And I think that's what more and more people are considering now doing. So we're not talking about just abolishing the police and defunding the police. We're talking about reimagining what would be a more equitable organization. And in terms of capitalism and equity and equality, clearly there's a conversation right now about reparations, especially for the um, Black community. And we just saw that the church actually is, um, I think in New Orleans, going to start a fund with Georgetown because Georgetown admitted that they, you know, uh, sold enslaved people in order to uh, keep the university going. And, you know, we know that, um, you know, all kinds of systemic oppression can, you know, exists and is perpetuated in institutions like academia or law enforcement and, and medicine and all these kinds of things. So there are movements being made. Now, the question is, is will they just go to people who get fat salaries for running a nonprofit? to disperse that money? Or are people gonna be mindful about really doing the work around that also? And so I would just say you're in community with people who are feeling you and with you, and I'm glad you're here and sharing all of that. And um, yeah, what was the book I just mentioned? Awakening Together with Larry Yang. Okay. All right, would you like to continue on with your presentation or? Um, I guess I'll just talk briefly about the course and then okay. I'll come back to questions. I really prefer answering questions and talking to people than lecturing because I think I'm boring and I don't really ever, I mean, I, I feel much more grounded in connection with you actually, and it's probably obvious. Um, so, okay, let's right. talk really briefly Thank about. So All right, Thank you so much, um, Selena, and let's go. All right, sorry about that. No, it's okay. Um, so let me see if I can share the course page uh, just to see if that works or if you can put it up, um, Mika, it doesn't matter, but uh, I think I have it here. Embodied anti-racism examining whiteness. Okay, let me pop this up real quick and we'll just go through it really briefly. Um, I would love for you to join us. We start next month. And this is a course that uh, we'll be doing more of this, uh, of what we're doing here today. It's um, six modules, and uh, we'll be talking about whiteness, and we'll look at the difference between uh, being anti-racist and non-racist. Uh, we'll explore what is whiteness around the idea of like, I mean, whiteness to me is the system of oppression, that somebody has the delusion. Uh, Sonia Renee, Renee Taylor calls it white supremacist delusion, white violence. I mean, it's a delusion 
the Buddhist teachings, mindfulness teachings talk about ignorance and, you know, wrong view and the origin of suffering and clear seeing and, you know, the whole noble eightfold path is the path that helps us to see more clearly, but we're living in a delusion. Like I said, we've been drinking or, you know, sort of inhaling carbon monoxide and we think we've been inhaling oxygen. No wonder why we're all sick. No wonder why we have so many addictions. No wonder why we have so much shame and feel that we're so terrible. No wonder why we continue to hurt each other. So this whiteness to me is um, this idea of somehow feeling as though there's a superiority there that is actually just a false notion that benefits some. Analyze how trauma lives and presents differently in white and non-white bodies. I think this is really important. I mean, the course as designed is generally speaking for white bodied or white adjacent people. I came up with the term white adjacent. Um, I've heard people say white skin privileged, light skinned privileged. Um, I, again, I, I'm, I'm with Sonia Renee Taylor on this and I'm not a big fan of privilege. So I just say white adjacent meaning proximate to the chart that I couldn't show you in the beginning, but whatever is centered, meaning I get some of the privileges of having lighter skin color in a society that uh, assigns value to bodies uh, based on levels of melanin, which is bananas. Um, but if you learn about Linnaeus and the pseudoscience and all these categorizations around who is better and the size of the person's skull and things like that, you'll realize just how crazy it is. And yet, just like people thought the world was flat forever, um, which we know it isn't, uh, this is what is cooked into the way in which we have uh, implicit conditionings um, even today. And it's not to say that we don't have them. It's to say, let me be aware of them so I can shift. So the course will look at that. It'll uh, demonstrate how shared joy, abundance, and connection transforms separation, fear, and competition. Francesca, I, sorry yes. to interrupt you. There's like a box in the way of the screen that you're sharing. There is? But yeah, I don't know if there's a way that you can move the box on the right-hand side or- Oh, this is the chat your, box. Yeah, if there's a way to move it, there we go. I took it down, sorry. It was the chat Thank box um, or the Q&A box. Um, we will also demonstrate shared joy, abundance, and connection, transform separation, fear, and competition. Basically, um, it's true that we need to always be mindful of, as mammals are, uh, whatever our negativity bias is, which means that you know we're always making sure that we are going to survive, and so we're scanning for threat. But it's a question of whether or not we have to be so hypervigilant or so fearful that we become violent with one another or whether or not we can actually be present enough so that we can enjoy one another and have appreciative joy, meaning that if someone else is experiencing something beautiful, um, that with empathy, uh, that in much the same way that we do with empathy, when we feel for someone in a, in a heartfelt way, when they're experiencing grief or sorrow, we can have appreciative joy and experience their shared joy if they have some kind of a success or, or beauty in their life. Um, we're also going to talk about the summary stages of racial identity development. This is Dr. Janet Helms's model. And this is sort of like for folks who are kind of coming into doing anti-racism work, it's a way of thinking about it that you know, she goes from contact to sort of integration. It's the idea of, okay, a lot of people say they're colorblind. I don't see color. I married a black man. My kids are biracial or something like that, but they can be just as ignorant or as racist or whatever as anybody. And that's fine. 
but we're also looking at where you are on that chart to bring in a sense of awareness around the different stages you may go through. And a lot of it sometimes um, may be that we bump into something like shame. And I didn't get into this earlier, but my thought about shame is that um, the purpose is to point out that something's wrong, that it's out of balance, and that we want to use that uh, shame and even an understanding of what I call moral injury, which is a concept that was developed after soldiers went to war and they created harm. They, they raped and they murdered and they came back and felt um, as though there was a, a moral injury to their, to their essence, that they were somehow uh, in violation of the social contract of humanity, um, that shame serves the purpose to remind us that being an inheritor of uh, a white or light-skinned privileged or white-adjacent body in a system that values melanin levels at one level uh, greater than the other and therefore gives access to power, privilege, resources, um, more so through systemized constructs like redlining and um, you know, through, through, through obvious violent public acts like uh, Rosewood and the Tulsa massacre and, and those kinds of things uh, that, that we're able to move through this sense of feeling bad and having shame be in some way a self-absorbed narcissistic sort of privileged position of being able to check out and not be able to tolerate, tolerate the experience that we have in our body, which is why we went through that video and you were noticing it, but we were doing it together. And so you notice that you're still here and you're still breathing, which is a good thing, right? Because George Floyd didn't get that. Eric Garner didn't get that. And that we're here and that we're also able to then use that to say, how am I going to step forward and be able to have compassionate action in a way like Selena talked about? Um, how can we be empowered? How can we feel like we have a right to speak and we have a right to act and, um, and to come from a place that isn't arrogant about it, but that is really um, feeling like it's the right thing to do. Uh, applying polyvagal theory and mindfulness to prepare the nervous system to participate in conversations around race. I mean, how many of you have gone into conversations well-intentioned, but then realized that it got really ugly really fast and your intention did not match your impact in terms of uh, trying to have a conversation that pertained to something Maybe it was somebody that got hired at your nonprofit, or maybe it was uh, a client that you had if you're a yoga teacher or a mindfulness teacher or a therapist, um, and that you didn't know how to have that conversation because you realized you were getting triggered, but you didn't know how to put words to your own experience uh, and then pause and slow down to be able to invite in a better relationality and space. We'll talk about that, uh, you know, sort of ways that we can manage that. and. Yeah, bringing up race in session. And so these are all the modules that we'll go through. There's six in all. And we'll end with joyful action, moving from cultural appropriation to appreciative joy and embodied community engagement. And we'll look at things like white allyship and white saviorism and all the ways in which we try to do stuff for other people when in fact the ask is to ask and to have humility and to see if we can be with others in community so that we are actually sharing uh, an experience and that it matters just as much to us as one of the previous callers says, as to anyone. Um, so yeah, this course is intended for anyone who is 
in a sort of teaching kind of role or executive leader, non, you know, nonprofit, you could do that. Is it interactive? Yes, I'll give you some videos and some readings to, to read ahead of time, but I'll also be able to go over um, some experiential stuff, like some of the video that we just watched today, some different ones like that. And um, as far as prerequisites, no, it's just a desire to show up and have some humility around learning and leaning into this work. And um, we'll talk specifically about anti-Black racism because it's sort of the foundation in this country uh, and indigenous genocide. But of course, this is a system of whiteness that then affects everyone, including women, therefore sexism, including you know, people who are genderqueer, including people who are uh, AAPI, including everyone who is not right at the center of that, that privileged inheritance. Um, okay, I'm gonna stop talking and then I'm going to open it up to more questions. Yes, there is a Facebook group where we can all connect for the course. It is posted, I have the link. I don't know, I think you get the link when you sign up for the course. Yeah. Um, yeah, thank you, Mika, for that. This is something I'm exploring. We say, why say white supremacy, white violence, or white privilege? Why not just supremacy, violence, or privilege? We say that because the system has constructed it so that people with non-melanated levels of skin pigmentation receive access to resources and privileges in a way that those who have other melanin levels do not. That's why we name it as whiteness. We name it as white privilege, white violence, white supremacy. Um, but it is not whiteness that is the problem. It is whiteness, supremacy, unconscious bias and privilege that needs to be addressed. When I hear white, I fear it reinforces the separation. You know, what I hear you saying, Virginia, is, is kind of, you know, you would, it would be really great to look at the summary stages of racial identity development with you on the chart because you're at a certain stage there in terms of what you're trying to express. And I appreciate what you're trying to express. Um, you have to name it to tame it. And it's the system that's been constructed. People don't like hearing race, racism. They don't, they don't like hearing the word racism. Uh, people don't like hearing the word incest. That doesn't mean that people that you're related to don't sexually molest and abuse you. So just because we don't like it or feel as though there might be another way to talk about it, because it's been constructed in this way, we are actually naming the system that has been normalized and fed into us as the ether and the air and the water that we breathe and drink. And we're naming it so that we can deconstruct it so that we get to the place without spiritual bypassing where we are on equal footing and we're living in a multiracial, equitable society. We all know that by 2040, we're all gonna be majority minority anyway, that people of culture will be the majority percentage of, of folks. So, um, so it's happening and that's why we're getting pushed back and backlash, I think, because people feel through the scarcity mentality as opposed to the abundance mentality that they're gonna lose something. And the invitation is actually you will gain connection and you will gain the sense of feeling befriended and belonging that has been cut off and separated when we are forced to believe that somehow those who have certain kinds of bodies are better than other people. Anyway, okay, sorry, go back to the question. I apologize. 
I'm just inviting anyone who would like to ask a question. I don't see any questions in the Q&A box or um, if you would like to go live to raise your hand um, by clicking on the participants menu and then you'll see the blue hand show up again. Um, see that David's raised his hand. All right. Hi, Robert. I appreciate you. I know I talk a lot and I talk fast. And then next we'll get Usulus. So I just wanted to say I have a very a specific question for you. Um, I've been moving into this work, this embodied racialized uh, work, and I don't feel safe in any non-Asian group. I have very good white friends and they say the wrong things all the time. Yeah. Um, and so I can't do this work in your group. So do you know of an Asian group doing this work? Um, I know some therapist groups that are doing this work. Can you tell me a little bit more about what's unsafe here? Because you're saying that the participation of the students is- No, no, I'm just uh, saying that, well, okay, maybe it should be clearer. So it's embedded in the culture and the language, um, the white violence, it's, it's embedded. You can't escape it. Um, so for instance, I'm with, uh, I shared my upset, my, my rage when the elderly Asians were attacked in Oakland where they were, they were, people were attempting to kill them by slamming into the sidewalk. I shared that in a group that, of listeners, people who are very good listeners, and they uh, were upset with my sharing. Um, to me, it was like, it's like common humanity. If someone's trying to kill you, I'm gonna be pretty upset. Um, and it startled me that I, had that reaction and I actually felt shame. I felt like I had made a mistake. It took me a couple of weeks to realize, oh no, this is, this makes perfect sense. My outrage that people are killing my elders. It's yes, like, 100%, mean, 100%. It's, 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 Ken Hardy talks a lot about that. The rage, not but, anger. But the reaction, rage. but no one can handle that rage. White people can't handle that rage. I see white violence for 20 years of my life. I see it all the time. Um, when I see a black and white person in an argument, I have to stand next to the black person because I'm sure to know that that white person is going to strike that black person. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I know about why violence. And so I, so, so I have very good friends. They mean the best, but they say the wrong thing so many times. Right. Um, I appreciate all of what you're saying, David. And it's true. I, I, I know many, many people who go into communities of, um, you know, uh, Ruth King has a book called Mindful of Race, and she created uh, a template for what she calls racial affinity groups, RAGs. Uh, yeah. And um, that may be a place where uh, if you don't find a particular group already, you can cultivate creating one there that can be very specific around what you're talking about. I value what you're saying. I hear you. And I, and I, and I guess in this group, when I offered a class before, it was primarily being offered to help white bodied or white adjacent people understand precisely what you're saying and what that experience is and how to create a safer space for people, uh, grounded in humility as opposed to shame. Um, and there were also people uh, of various ethnic backgrounds, including members of the AAPI community on that call. And so there was a way in which we were able to create a safer, safer multiracial space 
um, that I would hope that also exists in this class. And so I, I, I would love to have you, but of course recognize that this may not be exactly what you need right now. Well, could I, could I say, could I join your class? And if I feel like I need to bail, I'll bail. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. And you can always, um, yes, I would love that, yes. Because I, I know my presence will change a lot of people, will challenge a lot of people. Sure. Uh, and um, thank and you. It'll be interesting to see, see how people react to my challenge. Thank you, David. Okay, I'm going to just try to take a couple more questions because we only have five minutes okay. left, if that's okay. Thank yeah. you. And I also wanted to uh, maybe recommend or suggest to David to, um, to join the class, but then also on Instagram, if you do the hashtag like AAPI or stop Asian hate, uh, sometimes you'll see grassroots organizations putting together circles specifically for um, the affinity groups of Asian, of Asian people. So just wanted to offer that. Yeah, this is, I'm seeing a comment here that says, I get it, David, from Lyrica. The burden rests on BIPOC folks when we enter space with white people to learn about these things. Affinity spaces are so important. And, and I just want to say, the whole point of sort of doing this class is to make it a place where white people can, I'm not the guru on this, right? I'm teaching this course and I've learned a lot because I have had a lived experience of being white adjacent where I've enjoyed privileges and been super ignorant about the ways in which I've participated in causing harm to communities of color of which I'm a part. Um, and, and I'm becoming as Angel, Reverend Angel Kyoto Williams says, I'm waking, hashtag waking, becoming more awakened, more woke on this. And so I'm just trying to share what I've what I've learned. All right. Who else? There's another person, Ulia. Uli. You, yes. Uh, Julius Benson. Um, if you'd like to come live and also show your video. Are you there, Ulysses? All right. Can you hear me now? Yes, now we okay. can hear you. Great. I couldn't, I couldn't unmute. Um, when you were speaking and I'm listening and I had an emergency so I couldn't get in, I missed the video, but I just wanna say, I don't think they get it. I've had a friend that we've been friends for 20 years and more. And the other day she said, may I ask you a question? And I said, well, you can ask me anything. And she says, how does it feel to be black? Mm -hmm. And then I, how do you feel to be white? I mean, I think all of us until you walk past a mirror, you're human. And why do you work so hard to try to treat us as though we're other than? So how to get through to them, I don't understand. Yeah, so that, that's my question. It's like they want to get it or they say they do. But and then when you give them a reference, they argue with you and say, No, that's not what I meant. Yes. And, and how does that feel when that I mean, when that happens to you? This is it a what's going on with you when that's what they're offering? I'm always like, I'm always amazed. I don't know why I'm always amazed, but it's like, here we go again. I thought, why can't you just treat me like you treat your sister or your mother or 
anyone else that you're in, in contact and you know right community right. with or right. they'll say when i look at when i'm with you i don't even feel like you're a black woman right like, why not right right i you know i so appreciate that because that is the erasure um i want people to see me as a multi-ethnic multicultural haitian dominican italian woman i want people to see you as a black woman and your whole self because if they're not seeing that they're not seeing you for you um, and also there's so many things about my culture, your culture that are just gorgeous, um, that are to be celebrated and that are unique. And part of the course we'll be talking about uh, for white people reclaiming white, a white person's heritage. So if you're Italian, what is it, what do you there, what are the rituals and things that got cut off the language The you know, if you're, if you're Slavic, you know, what is that? Come back to that, you know, no cultural appropriation. Let's go back. Sorry, thank you. Let's go back to that. Let's find a way to um, to make you feel, to invite you in to what you had to lose and get cut off with, um, what whiteness did to you in a white body that makes you feel as though race only pertains to people who are non-white. <laughs> it doesn't. White people are racialized beings too. And I really appreciate your your sharing. And and someone said to me, one of my clients, um, yes, uh, last week, yesterday. Um, She's um, mixed Asian, different, you know, uh, countries. I won't name them because I don't want to identify uh, her experience, but was eating at a restaurant, uh, I don't know, maybe over the weekend. And um, apparently a, a white older man put his hand on the back of her shoulder, who she didn't know, uh, to say, you know, um, we like we like Asian people here. And this happened four days ago in New York City. Um, don't worry, it'll be okay. And this sense of patronizing or pity or white guilt and all of this stuff is what we're going to be unpacking in the course, because it's, it's the thing that, that keeps people, it's like, if I'm looking in the mirror, but I'm seeing a Barbie doll, guess what? I'm not seeing <laughs> what's really here. I need to look at what's really here. Um, so thank you. Is it Ulias? Julius. Julius, Julius, as if there's a why, but there isn't. Beautiful. I hope you can take the class and join us. I would love to see you more. I love the wisdom of, 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 yeah, you bring a great energy to the space. Thank you. Thank you. Um, okay, we're over time. Um, any last thoughts or questions before we kind of wind down? The more I learn about a person, the more I can love them. I urge us to all assume good intentions. Yes, that's beautiful. Um, the hashtags. Thank you for Mika, Mika for sharing those things. Affinity groups are so necessary. A hundred percent. We need greater emotional intelligence, naming emotions, handling them. Yes. So we covered a lot of ground, I think in 90 minutes, talked about a lot of different things. I want to continue this conversation with you. Um, the course starts in a couple of weeks in April next month. We'll be going through mid-May. I guess I just want to kind of wind down with taking a breath and saying, you know, we're here to make space for all of it, including the truth of the horror of the way in which these systems of oppression, these systems that have been perpetuated and the delusional thinking about self and other help keep us from that connected collective liberation that is so juicy and so nice that it's something that I would invite us all to 
continue on our path toward taking steps for and doing it together. It's, it's too hard to do it by ourselves, um, but doing it together is a beautiful thing. And I would love to have you join us. Uh, I see a logistical question here. If we cannot make every live session, you get all the recordings for the course that everything is going to be recorded. This webinar is going to be recorded and it'll be mailed to you for all the people who signed up and you will get it, I think, for 48 hours. I think it's two days. Mika will go over that, but I think you get it for 48 hours. She put the link to the course in the chat. And um, thank you, Christina. Uh, personal vulnerability. Yeah, I'm a learner. I'm a student. I'm a teacher here, maybe but I'm a sharer and I'm someone who is, um, you know, Kalyanamita, spiritual friend. I'd rather be thought of that way if possible. So um, with that, I'm going to just close with a little mindful piece here. I apologize for my audio issues today. I just moved and um, I'm not quite set up yet. And I am giving myself the compassion and grace to be in my full imperfection. Normally I'm a little more anal about things, but here we are and we did it anyway. As we just take a couple of mindful breaths here, breathing in and out, again, sharing this collective breath from all parts of the world, recognizing all beings near and far, those who are in your household, all the beings that are in your town or city, all the beings that are in your state or in your province, all the beings that are in the hills and the mountains and the waterways and the oceans around your country, your country, your continent that you're on, and of all the beings that are in the air and in the sky. All the beings that are seen and unseen. May we open our portal to awakening, to clear seeing, to being fully embodied and present and responsive to one another with a kind, compassionate, open heart. And may all beings, including ourselves, be free from harm, be safe. May all beings experience contentment, satisfaction, happiness. May all beings experience health, mental, emotional, physical, spiritual. May all beings experience ease of heart, balance, equanimity, and a sense of belonging. We belong to one another and may we dedicate our practice together here today to the benefit of all beings. Thank you so much, everyone. You can email me if you'd like to follow up on maximaclarity.com. That's my website, M-A-X-I-M-E, clarity, C-L-A-R-I-T-Y.com. Uh, and sign up for the course. I'd love to see you. Yes, collective connected liberation. Thank you so much, everyone. I'm loving just reading these chats. Two words, if you will, as you leave. Um, 
about how you're feeling now versus how you felt earlier, if you want to put them in the chat. Peace and love, beautiful. Much gratitude. Thank you, centered. Gratitude and seen, inspired, compassion, lovely. Embodying gratitude, that's great. Intrigued and connected, energized, stirred, yes. Hopeful, moving forward with an open heart, lovely. What is the email I mentioned? Okay, I'll put it in here. And the course link once more, if Mika, if you could pop it in there, that would be great. And I think that's all for today. Anxious curiosity. Yeah, we need space for that too. Thank you, Mika.